Welcome to Catholic Living, a podcast that seeks to be a user's guide to the Catholic faith, where we boldly ask, what if this stuff is all true? How then should we live? This is brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. I'm Tom Hoops. I'm writer-in-residence here at the college. You can read what I write at alatea.org or excorde.org. So I want to talk today about Lent. But specifically, I want to give positive reasons that Lent is a good thing. Lent is not a drag. Lent is not a bother. Lent is not irritating. Lent is not an exercise in white-knuckling, waiting for it to end. Lent is not lame. Lent is awesome. Catholics have a bad reputation. The world thinks that we are largely irrelevant and mostly negative. Society has become so extreme in various forms of immorality that we are largely absent from many sectors of society except to protest them. So we are looked on as the grumpy family member who sits glumly in the corner, interrupting the moody silence only occasionally in order to make things more awkward for the people who are trying to have fun. If Catholics truly are the Debbie Downers we are made out to be, Lent would seem to be our glory season. It's a time when we can really kill the fun. So it's helpful to recall that Lent is, you can choose your way of saying it, proactive, not reactive, positive, not negative, offense, not defense. So I'm going to talk about fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, the big three of Lent, and describe what they do for you in a positive way. First of all, Lent makes you more beautiful because prayer makes you more beautiful. So I don't mean that Lenten fasting helps you lose weight. I mean Lenten prayer transforms you. Did you ever notice, and I mention this all the time, that uh, Mother Teresa was both the ugliest woman who ever existed and the most beautiful woman who ever existed? To describe her features, you have to use the same words that you use to describe a troll doll. Wrinkled, leathery, stooped, bags under her eyes. Uh, Apparently her feet were gross because she always walked without sandals. But no one who ever met Mother Teresa described Mother Teresa as ugly. She was suffused with a radiance that made you want to spend more time with her. She was filled with a deeper beauty than her features could account for. Well, Catholics believe soul and body are one, and that means by uniting to God in prayer, everyone can be beautiful. The features of Mother Teresa didn't define her. What defined her was the form her features were given by her spirit. There is no one more attractive than someone who has turned their body, whatever body they have, into a vessel for a beautiful spirit. We Catholics know this phenomenon is not confined to Mother Teresa, the parish lady who prays in the back of the church and gives you a winning smile, the children who file past you on the way out of uh, catechesis of the Good Shepherd with their eyes filled with wonder have the same phenomenon applying to them. If we pray and really connect with Jesus Christ, we can get some of the same wisdom and innocence that made him beautiful. This is for the simple reason that we are like those we spend time with. If you spend time with gossipy people who are mean, you become gossipy and mean. If you spend time focusing on yourself, you become selfish with people. If you spend time entertaining yourself, you will seem distracted to people. If you spend time focusing on what people think of you, you will seem vain to people. 
If you spend time trying really hard to impress people, you will seem like a braggart. If you spend time obsessing about what you have and what others have, you will seem materialistic. But if you truly, deeply spend time with the almighty source of all beauty, love, goodness, and joy, well, then you'll be beautiful, lovely, good, and joyful. Lent, therefore, gives you the energizing feeling that other people can sense that you have a purpose in your life. Think of what being loved does for you. Being loved by someone makes colors brighter. It makes music better. It makes drab days wonderful. Being loved by God and knowing it does even more. The whole world is continually being created by God. Bishop Barron likes to point this out. God is not another thing among many in the world. He's the meaning and purpose and power behind everything that exists in the world. In all things, he is present by his essence, his presence, and power, according to Aquinas. When you realize this and connect with him in prayer, the whole world starts to be illuminated by God's presence. You see him in a blade of grass, in the smile of a friend, in everything beautiful, in everything good, in everything true. You even gain the ability to weather storms or even tragedies. You start to see his will despite irritations that are small and despite really, really bad things that are a big deal in your life. It's no coincidence that be not afraid is the most often repeated phrase in the Bible. Being in touch with God means that you lose fear. It makes you more confident, more self-possessed, and it gives you the joy of life that you never had without it. So prayer in Lent makes you beautiful. Fasting in Lent means you don't have to settle. We are all sadly familiar with the feeling of disappointment. It's one of the defining feelings of our time. We're disappointed in our house, in our car, in our life. We're disappointed by what we thought we would become and what we actually ended up becoming. If we are poor, we are disappointed because we fill our minds with images of wealth that we believe are necessary to happiness but are unattainable to us. If we are relatively well off, we're disappointed because nothing ever lives up to the expectations we have for it. We all want our lives to be bigger, better, and more, but we are all sadly aware of life's giant lack. When our soul is too big for the world that we see around us, we have two options. We can either shrink our souls to the size of life's pleasures, or we can expand our awareness of the size of our soul. The more we seek futilely after material pleasures, the more we start to settle. To get rid of disappointment, we accept a modified joy, a compromised happiness. We figure good enough is as good as anything ever gets. Fasting in Lent is like shocking our system to make us remember that life's pleasures are not all that there is. There's something greater, something that truly satisfies. Jesus found it in the desert, and we find it in Jesus. Fasting, above all, gives you freedom, and freedom is what gives you this larger view of yourself. Doing whatever you want doesn't make you free. It makes you a slave to whatever you want. Refusing to do whatever you want, therefore, increases your freedom. Matthew Kelly said the opposite of self-control is slavery. Well, and the opposite of slavery is self-control then. Fasting gives you the joys that only freedom can give you. Freedom from addiction Freedom from tiredness, where you're not wasting your time late at night doing something that you really shouldn't be doing to start with. 
Freedom from being impatient with time spent with others because you want to get away and do that thing that you do that you can only do alone. Freedom from getting bored with your kids and going on YouTube instead. Freedom from interrupting everything so that you can find the right picture to capture, to put it on social media. Freedom from lacking confidence in public if you haven't had a drink. Freedom from worrying about the debt load that keeps piling higher and higher because of all the purchases you keep making that you know you can't afford. Fasting allows you to choose who you want to be instead of being stuck being whatever your addiction says you have to be. Fasting breaks our self-will and ends our slavery to whatever it is that's holding us back. And that opens your soul up to be something new. You don't have to be the person who would be great if only you could stop doing such and such. You don't have to be the person who is constantly held back by this need that you have. You can be the person God meant you to be. Uh, and you are an enormous person inside, you know, it's a good reminder when you see a beautiful landscape or a beautiful sunset to remember those things are all going to go away one day. You're not. You're actually bigger than those things, more important, more lasting. So fast. So prayer makes you more beautiful. Fasting gives you more freedom. What about almsgiving? Almsgiving gives you the greatest happiness which is available to mankind. It's a central paradox of life that the more we try to make ourselves happy, the less happy we are. And the more we try to make someone else happy, the more happy we are. The more you grab at pleasure, the more it slips through your fingers. The more you give it away, the more it fills your heart. This works in every aspect of your life, and you know it does. Come to work in the pajama pants and sweatshirt that make you happiest, and you'll quickly find them unpleasing because they don't make anybody else happy. But dress to please others, and you'll find you please yourself a little bit too. In sports, max out your personal glory and try to make it all about you and see how much fun you have as the team's glory fades away and the team loses. No, by giving yourself to the team effort and by helping others succeed, you make team play more fun for you also. This isn't the reign of selfishness. This is more like the law of the gift. Man finds himself only by making himself a sincere gift to others, says Vatican II. And John Paul II repeated it endlessly. So by telling us to give alms, the church is sharing, literally sharing the secret to happiness. You'll find that the more you serve others, the happier you are. But the real secret is, or the surprising secret is, that almsgiving even to people who don't thank you and don't like you makes you happier. Now, this is really, really hard to do, I know, but this is what was shared in a recent gospel in Mass, uh, where Jesus says that you must bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and love your enemies. In other words, do good to the person who works really, really hard to upturn your side of the COVID argument the pro-masker who you dislike, or the anti-masker who bugs you. It means bless those who hate you because of who you voted for. It means love those who call you a bigot because of what you believe about marriage or gender. Or just as hard, bless those Catholics who undercut you and your friends because you are traditional. Or do good to those Catholics who reject you because you aren't traditional enough. 
In fact, the only way to get closer to Jesus Christ, and the only way to be truly happy, is to conquer precisely those relationships in your life. Remember, Christian love means action. It doesn't mean feeling good about somebody. St. Paul gave his commentary on this teaching in Romans where he said, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. And this will come overcome evil with good. He also said it will pour hot coals on the head of your enemy, which is a happy way to think of it. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It works like this. The more you oppose others, the more strongly they will build up their defenses against you. The more you love them, the more open to you they will become. There's a scene in the movie The Hurt Locker where soldiers tackle and shackle an Iraqi citizen after a tense confrontation. Is he an insurgent, someone asks? If he wasn't, he sure is now, the protagonist answers. The fact is, the more you treat others as the worst version of a human being they could possibly be, the more like the worst version of a human being they will become. The more you treat them like someone who deserves love and respect, the more lovable and respectable they will become. I admit that for some people it takes a lot longer than for others. But try it. The next time you have an argument with a spouse or a family member or a coworker. When you answer with love, you will lose lots of verbal battles, but you will eventually win the war and win the person over. And try it in your next ideological battle. Seek to understand your opponent, truly and thoroughly seeing their point of view. In fact, go further. Look at your opposing camp with an open mind, looking for every scrap of truth in what they say. And look at those in your own bubble with a critical eye, looking for flaws in their logic. You'll be surprised what a shortcut to truth and peace of mind that truly is. So almsgiving is more than just giving things. It's giving forgiveness, giving love, giving respect. Uh, But it also means giving things. Jesus says, from a person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. When he says something like that, he's clearly talking about someone who is poor, who needs what is essential for living. What the Catechism says about that is that uh, theft is usurping another person's property, but there is no theft when someone absolutely needs what you have because of the universal destination of goods. So what you have belongs to whoever needs it, not to you, if they need it bad enough. So the Catechism quotes St. John Chrysostom on this. He says, not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and deprive them of life. The goods we possess are not ours, but theirs. The demands of justice must be satisfied first of all. That which is already due in justice is not to be offered as a gift of charity. In other words, many of the things we give, we can't, we can't even consider charity because we have more than we need and people deserve what we have that we don't need. So if you go on Excorde. I have a little method there of trying to um, figure out what you truly need to better your life and what you don't and how to give up what you don't for those who do. Let me describe what I mean. After decades of me time and treat yourself topped off by sound canceling headphones and wireless earbuds connected to personal entertainment device, Lent is a great time to reorient ourselves toward 
others. Uh, there's a great old saying, I'm third, God is first, others are second, and I am third. Lent is a great way to wean yourself from yourself. Every year we hear the same warning because every year we need to. Lent is not a time to diet and exercise to look our best. It's also not a time for spiritual bodybuilding to become the best version of myself for my sake only. It's a time to better fulfill the ultimate two commandments, love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. You do that through prayer to build your love for God, almsgiving to build your love for neighbor, and fasting to put the kibosh on your self-love. The most effective method I've found for doing these things is to give something up and to take that money or time that I would have given to that thing and give it to others and to God instead. So, First step is to identify what traps you in self-centeredness. So sit down at prayer with a paper and a pen. Make two columns on the paper. On one, list the things that you give your heart to, the material things and concrete activities that most entice and excite you and eat up most of your time. Food, wine, other spending will be there. So will various forms of entertainment, social media, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon, On the second column, list the things you most daydream about, wishing you could do. You could include bad things, escape fantasies, or if I only had X, daydreams, or improvement plans you never get to, or time you need to spend with family, or time you need to spend with your children. Now, connect the two lists. What kind of time in a time and place do you spend on the things on your left that you could give to the folks or opportunities on your right-hand column? Do you daydream about a better life and watch movies to kind of satisfy that desire you have for a better life? Do you dream of improvements you never make, but then watch YouTubes of people who are making improvements? Do you stress watch, stress drink, and stress eat when you could just be addressing the things that you're stressing about? Draw lines between items on the two columns. If you're following me here, you can do your own method. Decide what your dreams and goals are that are unfulfilled and what your time wasters are and match the two up. Whether you're planning what to do in Lent this year still, or if you're looking for motivation for what you've already decided to do, don't think about Lent as a small, irritating thing. Don't think about it negatively at all. You can easily go through Lent adding a hurried daily rosary, begrudgingly giving up wine, searching for the most expendable can of food to put in the food drive. But that kind of Lent is irritating. It makes less of Lent than Lent should be, and it makes less of you than you should be. Pray to become friends with Jesus Christ and become his light in the world. Fast to make nothing but God satisfy you and give so that you can take the joy that the angels take in the happiness of others. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hoops, and this is the Catholic Living Podcast, produced by Excorde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship. Visit us at excorde.org.